Welcome everyone to your Rocket Nation podcast. This is a new episode of Dive Cuts. My name is Sam Snelling. With me uh, as my co-host is Spreadsheets McGee, otherwise known as Matthew J. Harris. Matt, in Indianapolis, how are you? I'm well. All the spreadsheets. I own them. Give them to me. All of them. You just like creating them. Um, We have a a guest, so we're just going to hop right into this. You know him uh, solely as at the Blake Lovell on Twitter. Uh, Also, uh, a esteemed writer for the Blue Ribbon Yearbook, which is uh, a must-read, I don't know, uh, yearbook for uh, college basketball is probably the best way to describe it. Also on uh, Clutch Points, uh, doing all the college basketball things. Uh, Blake Lovell, how are you, Blake? Hello guys. Uh, yes, nice to be back with you. Um, yeah, it's uh, we're only a week away here, and uh, you guys are excited. Um, the national media is not excited for you guys, but uh, at least <laughs> at least we are, and uh, we're all on the same page when it comes to Missouri. But we'll get to that. Yeah, well, we know what's up. That's like that's the the difference between us and the national media, and and or not, and not even like the national media. It's like the people that are are having to pay attention to the ACC, the Big Ten, uh, you know, the Pac-12, the Big East, all those those leagues. Uh, surprisingly, uh, aren't paying attention to the inner workings of Consul Martin's program in Columbia, Missouri. So uh, we assume that they're going to surprise a lot of people. But the weather uh, is starting to turn here in St. Louis. It has gotten cold. Uh, we're going to have a big snap. And to me, that always is the perfect time to kind of kick on the fire and turn basketball on. And so what we're going to do tonight uh, is we're going to uh, kind of run through uh, several of the SEC schools with the pros and the cons. And the reason that we bring Blake on is because Blake is, uh, I think, widely considered by everyone that knows him. Um, one of the, the better SEC basketball uh, knowledgeable writers and all that sort of stuff, right, Blake? That's that's well, who you that's, are. Uh, that's what I hear. I, I don't know if I can go that far, but uh, I appreciate the compliment. And or maybe <laughs> it's just the case of of watching so much SEC basketball over the years, which, uh, as we know, has come with some good, but it has also come with some bad. Right. But the nice thing about having you on is that we can we can talk about uh all the members of south carolina's second team and and you know who i'm talking about uh which yes <laughs> which is which is a start um but what we're going to do is so uh we're going to kind of start in here and i want to start with probably i think it's fair to say maybe the most uh controversial uh team coming in and the that would be the lsu tigers uh so everybody knows will wade was suspended last year um we uh <laughs> we're kind of surprised that he's yeah. back yeah a little surprised um but he is and i think it's kind of one of those sean miller things like well the ncaa hasn't charged him with anything so we can't get rid of him for cause and there's a whole lot of money left on this contract so let's yeah. just write it out <laughs> but but he's still putting together like pretty good rosters surprisingly enough that the the guy who cheats has uh found a way to uh, to land a few five-star talents, and, uh, and and LSU looks pretty good. Yeah, I think that um, it's a different team, and for me, you know, I mean, obviously they, they have a very talented roster, like you said. There's no doubt about it. Um, when you consider that they bring back Skylar Mays, they bring back Javante Smart, I think Emmett Williams is one of those guys. 
We're probably talking about you know, he has NBA aspirations like these other guys do, and, and he could be a breakout type of player with, with more opportunity now. Um, and then you add Trenton Wofford, who, as we know, I think is probably going to be sort of similar. They're not the same player, but sort of play a similar role to, to what Naz Reed played last year. Um, but but here's my thing with LSU, and like we said, if we're going to possibly look at a team and and say, okay, we feel like they're going to be pretty good, they're probably you know a preseason top 25 type of team, if we're going to pick a hole somewhere um, – they're smaller, and Will Wade's pointed that out. Uh, he said that at SEC Media Day. You know, they're a smaller team, and they're going to have to rebound better. Um, not having, you know, Nas Reed, Cavell Bigby-Williams, two big guys like that in there, uh, they're going to have to rebound uh, a lot better, and there's going to have to be sort of a focus on that. And for me, too, guys, and you know this, I think from watching him last year, I mean, Tremont Waters, to me, one of the best playmaking guards, not just in the SEC, but in the country. And, you know, we always maybe look at it and say, well, how is that going to translate to the NBA? Well, he's not starting from day one in the NBA. It doesn't really matter. You just watched him play. He made everyone else on the floor better. Uh, His offensive numbers were were maybe a little bit different than what we were used to, Um, but he just makes everybody better. And I think that, to me, is the biggest thing with them. How do they rebound with sort of a, a smaller team? They're still very athletic. They're still long. Um, and how do they look just in terms of their overall offense, not having someone like Waters sort of driving uh, the ship, so to speak? I've wondered what they're going to look like in terms of how they're going to split the ball handling duties up, and that's been something that's lingered since spring. I think Smart will be better on the ball. I think it was harder for him to sort of play off and figure out moments of when to attack and when to create and sort of how to balance all that out. And I think Skylar Mays, to a pretty good degree, understands what player he is. The shooting needs to be a little bit less streaky. But I think if you can get those two guys kind of balancing out who's going to run the offense versus who's going to sort of be a secondary playmaker, you know, you can start to build a pecking order there. I think getting Darius Days more into a wing combination will help them as well. So I think they're going to have you know the ability to play small spread teams out and kind of you know again exploit gaps but you know like you said that's going to create some rebounding issues it's going to create some cross mass issues defensively but they've got the the pieces you know to to have five or six really really good players if you toss in marlon taylor who's kind of an energy guy and defender in there really to me is who's going to flesh out spots seven and eight you know is it going to be you know a big like Cortez Cooper, Deshaun Thomas to come in and give him some minutes and some size, or is James Bishop or Charles Manning going to evolve into kind of a, you know, another piece in the backcourt that can spell them? Or are they just going to be really dependent on a short bench? So I think that that's kind of their issue as well is will they wear down and will they have kind of the size to come in and at least, you know, go jumbo when they have to. Yeah. They're not as deep. I mean, they don't have, like you said, there there's more unknowns with their, their overall roster. Uh, once you get beyond their top seven, I guess you could say, uh, still very talented, like we said, but it's just, um, yeah, I want to see how that offense looks. And, and in a style like that, where there's, as we know, I mean, there's a lot of pressure. There, there's a lot of sort of up-tempo style of play really on, on both sides. Um, yeah, how it looks without Tremont Waters to me, I, I'm probably more looking at that, even though I guess the, the rebounding is something that that's, could be a concern. Certainly if they don't have their, their guards going to have to rebound, you know, Emmett Williams, Darius Days, guys like that. Of course, Watford, 
that um, they're going to have to rebound well, especially in a league like this, as we know, uh, where there's a lot of offensive rebounds and a lot of extra opportunities. Uh, they've got to find a way to do that. But uh, overall, I still think they're a, they're a top five SEC team. Yeah, I think for me, it kind of comes down to the fact that Will Wade managed a, a relatively short bench last year. Um, I mean, it was not very often that they went more than maybe, you know, seven or eight guys deep. Um, and right now we're kind of looking at them having like a really sturdy six-man rotation. Uh, so really you're only asking kind of, uh, and it, it's probably going to come down to like somebody like Cortese Cooper, Deshaun Thomas, kind of being able to kind of fill in that role. But I really like the the combination of Emmett Williams and Trenton Wofford. I know that they don't quite have the size uh, that they had last year uh, when you're talking about, you know, Naz Reed, um, you know, and Big B Williams, but I think they get better defensively because uh, I think Reed was a disaster uh, defensively. Um, you know, he, he sort of made up for it with his ability to, to, to rebound, but, you know, Williams is a fierce rebounder and a guy that attacks the rim, uh, you know, going after boards like, like I don't think anybody else in the SEC kind of goes after it like he does. Uh, and Watford, I just think, his skill level overall and his ability to move and uh, and, and and kind of look seamless in, in his in his transitions from uh, you know kind of like the wing to mid post to low post and, and how he kind of handles that um, it just he feels like a really good fit for what will tries to do offensively and I think ultimately that's going to be enough for them to kind of hit that uh, 11 win mark and and maybe 12 if uh, if Smart really kind of has like another level to his game. Last point too that I think we should make about the the front line there is the SEC kind of hollowed out a little bit in front courts last offseason. I know there's Blackshear at Florida. There's Reggie Perry at Mississippi State. There's a guy like Josh Nebo at Texas A&M, Austin Wiley, Auburn, Jeremiah Tillman at Missouri. But really there's not a fleet of elite bigs or combo forwards or at least proven ones that are back in this league. So if you're going to play small and you're going to have some guys who are good positional defenders and athletic and can switch and sort of apply some pressure, this is kind of a year to maybe play a little bit smaller. So maybe that works in their favor. Blake, where do you have LSU finishing? Um, right now I have them, well, I guess I've, I've moved them probably between, I haven't moved them any lower than fourth. Um, I've gone back between three and four with them, obviously, because Kentucky and, and Florida are one one A and one B in my eyes. Um, but but I really I have a hard time putting LSU any any further down than, than fourth, just because again that they do have the talent and and you mentioned him at Williams. I think he's he's definitely a breakout candidate, and, and it's it's weird maybe saying that because he was such a, a high recruit, but um, he's going to have a lot more opportunity now, and I think he's going to he's going to do really well. So speaking of uh, hollowed out and kind of moving on to a team that had a lot of production hollowed out, and that's the Tennessee Volunteers. Um, I have not published a Tennessee preview yet. Uh, and Blake, I like that you made note of this before we started recording. Um, yep. And it's one of those things where I, I'm nervous to where I ended up with the Tennessee. I really am. Uh, so I ended up with Tennessee third, uh, but basically in a tie with LSU for third um, at kind of the 11 and seven record. You seem to be a, much more down on the Vols, who I think Ken Palm has them, what, at like 19? Yeah. Um, 
And a lot of the preseason polls that are coming out tend to have them kind of in the top four or five, uh, even, you know, even at worst. But if you look at the roster, uh, I mean, you you have to love Lamonte Turner. Uh, and Jordan Bowden was a really great role guy the last two years. Uh, Josiah Jordan James is a guy who, I mean, you, you watch him on tape and you cannot do anything but just fall in love with how he plays. Everything's under control. He's so smooth. Uh, just always in control of his body. And, and, and when you're talking about like a six foot six combo guard, that's a, that's a hell of a thing to say. Um, but after that, like boy, it gets thin in a hurry. Um, and my depth chart for Tennessee, actually, I, I think their best lineup is probably going to have like somebody like Eve Pons, uh, running out there at the four and, and then Fulkerson, John Fulkerson, who's kind of been nothing more than an energy guy off the bench, like playing the five. And that, that interior kind of scares me a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a situation where I said this, if you're looking for positives, the positives are Monte Turner, Turner and Jordan Bowden are back. Uh, you mentioned Josiah Jordan James. He is a, he, he's legit. Like he's really, really good. Um, and Rick Barnes to me now deserves the benefit of the doubt when it comes to what he's been able to do there thus far, because he came in there and we were all talking about, well, this is just going to be a, a nice retirement spot for Rick Barnes. Uh, he left Texas. He's just going to hang around Tennessee for a while and he'll be okay. They may be all right, but you know, it, it, but that hasn't happened. And, and he's developed his teams uh, to where we look back, you know, Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams and these guys he brought in, these were not top 25 recruits, top 50 kind of guys. These were guys that they developed into their system and as we see, it paid off in a big way, not only for Tennessee, but for those guys as well who are now in the NBA uh, playing valuable minutes. Um, but but that's also, to me, where you look at this team and say, are we sure that even with what they have coming back, I think that duo specifically, which you can throw Jordan Bone in there too, because certainly he played a, a big role on that team. Um, but Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, I would be hard-pressed to find five other duos in the country that maybe had the intangibles and the toughness that those two guys had. You take that away, and again, that's just looking at the intangibles and the toughness part of it. You're not even adding in their stats, which uh, you know you have two guys who scored over 17 or so points a game, uh, had six or so rebounds or more per game. You take those two guys out of the equation. You take away your best assist man. Um, and you also take away a guy like Kyle Alexander, who, again, was not – he wasn't a dominant offensive guy, but he was still, you know, the second best rebounder on that team. And I just want to know, like, where is that production going to come from? Uh, as high as I am on, on Josiah Jordan-James, as high as I am on some of these other freshmen, you know, like the Devontae Gaines type, of, I think he'll step in and probably play pretty well. Um, E. Pons, uh, John Fulkerson, like you said, we've seen them play well in role player type of roles, but now they they can't afford to be in those roles anymore. That like they are going to have to be quality producers, um, night in and night out for Tennessee to me to be able to compete with Kentucky and Florida and LSU and, and these other teams that we're going to discuss. Uh, teams that feel like they have deeper rosters um, and really 
more playmakers. I, again, I, I love the, the experience of the, the guard duo they have coming back, but as a whole, I maybe have more questions on Tennessee than most people do, and that's probably the biggest reason why. To me, it hinges on their on whether they get Euros Plastic a waiver. If yeah. they could get him a waiver, it's not that you need him for, you know, big, you know, big scoring or anything production wise. You just need him to be a lot like what Kyle Alexander was, which is a good rebounder, good positional post defender, and really let Fulkerson sort of drop back into that reserve role. And you're still not going to have, a, you know, a guy you can throw the ball to in the mid post and Grant Williams and have him go to work. But if you had three reliable guards and some solid post defending and rebounding. You might be able to cobble together, you know, a, a rotation that can sort of float you the rest of the way. But as it stands right now, they don't have a ton, you know, of, they don't have that kind of guy who can give them a little bit more of that flexibility. Even if like they had a VJ Bailey available right away, not a guy who was a big factor at Oregon, but experienced guy, guy who could shoot the ball a little bit, who was a solid defender. They just need it feels like one more piece of the rotation to kind of shore things up and to keep things from getting a little rickety. Yeah, I think we kind of like, and my process with a lot of this is always, it's very similar to kind of how you read the previews. Like I start with uh, looking at the coach. Then I look at what production you lost. I look at what production you're bringing back. And then I go and I watch each, uh, like each incoming recruit. I watch as much film as I can find. I I don't spend like, six hours watching you know tape on Devonte Gaines, but i you know i watch you know 15 to 20 minutes on each guy to try to get an idea of what you can expect from him uh and try to go more than just like oh this guy was the 232nd ranked recruit uh so obviously you know you, you won't be able to rely much on him but but how does he actually fit into the, into the roster um and the the thing about like after after James, there's just there's nobody on on the roster. Although I, I like I like Drew Pember's ceiling as a player, but you know, like I watching uh, some video on like uh, Olivier, uh, however you say it, uh, Kamhua or, or however you want to say. It. Um, he just he looks like a guy. I mean, I like, and that's the thing is like what they really need is they need somebody on the interior who, who's going to be able to give them 25 to 30 minutes. Cause we just haven't seen Fulkerson do that. Uh, and maybe Fulkerson can do it. Uh, and then you have like, they have Zach Kent on scholarship and, and Zach Kent was, I don't know, like he hasn't played for two years, so we don't really know what we're going to get there. And, uh, and even like watching, uh, Plopsick play, like, I mean, he's all right. Um, you know, it doesn't look like he's going to provide a whole lot. Uh, whereas the thing that I, I think that Barnes was able to do with Alexander is that he turned Alexander yep. into like a, a defensive monster. And uh, I think Missouri fans specifically will remember Alexander for like single-handedly taking Jeremiah Tillman out of the game. Uh, and not just defensively, but also mentally. And I just think that that's losing that type of edge from your roster and, and not just with losing... Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, who I, I really feel were, uh, you know, these these energy drivers for that team, um, but also losing somebody that, as important to the interior of your team like like Alexander. It's I'm I'm growing more and more skeptical <laughs> skeptical of Tennessee as I write my preview. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and now I'm at the point I'm just like, ah, how did I end up with the, with them well, so high? Like, and yeah, now it's going to make me look no, bad. So I'm a little say, nervous. I, I think it's again, if you look at it from a national perspective, and why is Tennessee getting the benefit of the doubt? It is Rick Barnes to me because of what he's done there. Um, but if you, like you said, Sam, if you really dive into the roster. There is not, to, to me, like they don't pack that same type of punch. And it's, to, I mean, I don't want to say it's, I, don't, I mean, I guess I will say it. Like it doesn't feel like even close to the same type of team, which we're not expecting to be the number one team in the country or anything like that. Uh, but if we're talking about a, a top 25 team, I think you look around and there are probably five, maybe six other teams in the SEC I could look at and say that feels more like a top 25 type of team than Tennessee. But then again, we also said that about that team a couple of years ago uh, when they started to kind of make that jump forward and we saw that progression. But again, though, those guys aren't here now. There's only Jordan Bowden. There's only Lamonte Turner who, you know, they both played key roles. I don't want to underestimate or anyone to underestimate the fact that just because they had Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield and Jordan Bone, uh, Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden were very important to their success the past couple of years. Uh, but it's now they have to be the guys. And they, if either one of those guys have an off night, Tennessee, to me, is in trouble. And, and when you consider that the depth of guard at all these, all these other teams, which, you know, we haven't even talked about some of the best backcourts that there are in the conference this year, which this is going to be one of them, um, you can't afford that to happen. And I just don't know that they have that depth beyond maybe their top four, five, if we're going to say that these guys like E. Pons and, you know, Fulkerson and stuff are going to step into roles and say be able to contribute seven to ten points a night. Um, that's the questions I have that tempt with Tennessee, and, that, and that's probably why I'm a little more hesitant on that. But isn't this like a common theme we're going to see throughout the rest of this you know, pecking order we're going to go through? Is There's a lot of teams that have two or three guys and then just a host of questions yep. about filling in their rotation around them. So I think that's the one, if you're going to make that case about Tennessee, you're, you can make that case about a lot of folks. And maybe it boils down to, you know, we've seen Barnes, you know, make lemonade out of the lemons that he's had. So maybe that's the one thing. If you're looking to sort of justify keeping Tennessee higher in the mix, maybe that's what you fall back to. So the other, uh, I guess, high achiever from a year ago was Auburn. And Auburn, a lot like Tennessee, lost a lot of production. Um, That team was humming down the stretch and it was humming basically because Jared Harper and Bryce Brown and Chumo Kiki were awesome. Uh, All three of those guys are gone uh, and what they have left on the roster is everybody else. Um, So Blake, are you uh, are you going to tell people to, to buy stock in Auburn? Or are you going to well, tell people to I sell? Well, I think I am. I don't know, and I guess maybe this is sort of con- this is contradicting <laughs> what I said about Tennessee, um, because I think why, why I would give Tennessee the benefit of the doubt is because of Rick Barnes. If I had to make that case, but I almost feel like I'm to a point where I just don't feel like I can pick against what Bruce Pearl's been able to do there. Um, these past couple years. And yes, it, it's sort of a, I don't know, it's not the exact same situation, but it is where you have a group of guys that are not there anymore that were among 
one of the best groups of players in the history of the program, which you could say that about Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield at Tennessee. You could say that about Jared Harper, Bryce Brown. You could throw Chumo Kiki in there too. Um, and, and so it is very similar. Um, and when you consider that Auburn is going to, by Bruce Pearl's account, uh, and he said this many times, they are going to play m- maybe much differently than we're used to seeing them playing. They're not going to be hitting 400 and something three-pointers this year uh, because I don't know where that comes from. Uh, And so they're going to play a little slower on the offensive side of the court. And as you guys know, they're going to try to run a lot of stuff through Austin Wiley. And that's where I know some question marks are going to come in because um, Austin Wiley has just been someone, as we know, I mean, he's dealt with the, the stuff where he had to sit out the year. Um, he's dealt with injuries in his career, and he said it, you know, just hasn't gone exactly like they thought it would. Uh, but he still has a lot of potential. He still has things that you can't teach in terms of his size and that type of stuff. But is he going to be that guy that is averaging, uh, let's say, 18 and basically 10 or 11 a night, which I think that's what he's going to have to probably average. Uh, if all, <laughs> we'll see. There you go. And so – but no, when you not. look at their roster, like I think that's pretty <laughs> – like that's the kind of numbers I think he has to be putting up regularly um, because if you're going to make the case against Auburn, that's what you look at and say, well, if he doesn't do that, what else? Where, where does everything else come from? Now, you look at the guards that are back, and certainly uh, with Javon McCormick, S- Samir Dowdy, uh, those guys, look, that they, they maybe aren't Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden, but they did both play – a key role in that team last year. Um, so they have that experience there. They've been in Bruce Pearl's system, uh, even if it's going to look different, like we said. And then Anthony McLemore, you know, Daniel Fearfoy, those guys are going to be expected to do a lot more too. And and think about this, guys, which I, I know you know, uh, this is such a unique roster because it's basically all seniors and all freshmen, aside from a couple of guys uh, who we don't know exactly if they're even going to factor into the rotation a great deal. So there is a really wide range of, of outcomes here and probabilities in terms of how this thing could unfold for Auburn. I will say I still have kind of put them in that top five, maybe six, if you want to make the case uh, for somebody like a Tennessee to be ahead of them. Um, just because I, I have a problem picking against what Bruce Pearl's done there and um, knowing with a guy like Isaac Okoro there, uh, who Bruce Pearl said was probably the best defensive guard he's ever coached. I could see that. What is he going to bring on offense? I think that's a, a bigger question in terms of what he can produce there. Um, there are, though, like like you said, Matt, I mean, there are questions on, on all these different teams, and that's where all of these different range of possibilities, um, that's kind of where we are this season because you could make the case for Auburn. You could also make the strong case against him. I think uh, Matt and I, uh, I was kind of joking with him as I was writing the Auburn preview, and I said, I think Auburn's going to have like yeah. like seven or eight guys average right about nine points a game. And like, so they're, I think they're going to be good, but they're going to be good in mass and, and not necessarily great because of that. So I think they're, they're the kind of team that uh, they'll be able to kind of, dominate and 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 hurt a lot of teams in the lower end of the league because of how deep they are and and uh and even though like there are some younger guys in the roster i i just think with the way pearl plays and um the way he's traditionally played because i i don't believe him when he says that they're going to play through austin wiley i think anybody that is aware 
remotely aware of uh, statistical analysis will look at the success rate of Austin Wiley on the low block and decide that is not the best course of action for your offense. That's a poor choice. Um, and so if, <laughs> if they end up doing that, I will rejoice because it will be good for Missouri uh, because Missouri will win more games uh, because they'll be playing at least once against Auburn. Um, but it'll also mean that there are other teams that are going to be able to take advantage of that because uh, Auburn has shown that that when they kind of get the momentum, they kind of get uh, the ball moving uh, and they're they're shooting and knocking down threes and that you know that bandbox of an of an arena, like they're going to be a, a, a tough team to beat. And so that's why I think I, I sort of I guess nine is the number, um, but you know you have seven eight guys averaging nine points. Uh, but I think they're probably going to end up at least at nine and nine uh, in conference because they're going to be able to find some level of offense in, in their home games and and steal, uh, you know, a couple couple of you know games on the road. That should be enough. I mean, the hard part for them too is you look at guys like people are touting Samir Dowdy and Javon McCormick. Samir Dowdy was only used on like fifteen percent of possessions last year. He was the fifth or sixth option on that rotation. Javon McCormick only played. 28.6% of minutes. You're just asking those guys to scale up a ton and still keep that efficiency that everybody kind of admires about them. And that's just a hard thing to do. Okoro, you know, I think, you know, you wrote in the preview that he's a guy who you can envision kind of evolving to a, you know, making an impact defensively early on and kind of a good player in transition and kind of attacking the rim. But if they're going to slow the tempo down and they're going to play through Wiley in the half court, you're sort of undercutting the advantage of having Okoro in the lineup, which to me is sort of uh, problematic in terms of... Weird, one. right? That's, that's yeah. a weird decision. Yeah, it, d- it doesn't make <laughs> sense to do that. So, and Bruce Pearl's a smart guy. Like, Yeah, so that's why I, I don't think, believe I, think, him. Like, I, don't th- I don't believe he's going to ask Isaac Okoro to, you know, become a floor-spacing jump shooter as a freshman when he does a really good job getting out, running the floor, and dunking on people's heads. I don't think that's going to be what he's going to ask to do. And even... Setting aside those questions, like nobody's gonna like cry over losing Malik Dunbar and Horace Spencer, but those guys were really critical reserves. And once you take them off the roster, there's not a lot there. I mean, we've talked about a young team, so even let's say that they settle on a starting rotation, they agree to play faster. Which of the freshmen, or which of the JUCO transfers, or Memphis transfer Jamal Johnson, which of those guys do you expect to like become your your reserve core of guys to step in. I can't project, you know, how Terrell Jones or Jalen Williams or Alan Flanagan or Javon Franklin, which of those guys are going to win the battle. We haven't seen any of them. So it's, I think that's the question there. Even if you get like figure out what your core group of four or five guys are, there's just a, a major hole as to who's going to be filling in behind them and what kind of roles they take on. So I think that's where I just, get hung up there is it's just hard to figure out what the rotation is going to look like and you know how long or how how much credence we should put in you know bruce saying he's going to slow things down because it just doesn't make sense based on the way the rosters build (laughs) i could see them sort of just getting to a point to where there's some frustration early and and all of a sudden he's just like you know what 
we don't have Jared Harper and we're just going to turn, you know, Tyrell Jones loose and just let him use his speed and we're just going to see what we can do. And then, you know, you know, that's where like a guy like him and Jamal Johnson, like you mentioned, I don't know what to expect from Jamal Johnson. Um, I've heard Bruce Pearl talk about him and, and, you know, he's someone they feel like they can help him uh, with shooting and uh, that type of stuff. But do we know exactly how he's going to fit in? I don't think anyone knows. And so, yes, just like with these other teams, you know, there are issues and that's where, I think we're doing the same thing with Tennessee is that I look at it as I'm going to lean on what Rick Barnes and Bruce Pearl have done and say, I can see them getting the most out of these, these rosters that they have uh, and still being, you know, sure. I don't know if they're surefire NCAA tournament teams, but maybe you feel like they should be. Um, and let's just say they're going to figure out a way to make it work, even if it may take a little bit more uh, experimenting than we're used to with these teams in recent years. Uh, the one thing that's different, I think, with Tennessee and Auburn, though, is you've got Turner and Bowden yep. in the backcourt there. You've got, like, if we're going to look at what, if they're in the same position and we have questions about de- depth Well, there's way, there's also a difference with offensive polish with, with James at Tennessee than there is with Okoro yeah, at Auburn. Yeah. Like, Okoro, it, I think, has just got a huge ceiling, but, but James is like, he's ready, he's ready to, go to right. contribute right now. Yeah. You can name your top three guys at Tennessee and feel pretty confident. With Auburn, it's like, okay, there's going to be a top three, but who is it going to be? And so, yeah, I can see it. Like, there, there's differences definitely between the two. So, or did we decide if we're buying or selling Auburn? <laughs> I, I feel like it kind of sounds like we're – I mean, every, you're hedging on everybody, or at least we all are. But I feel like it's a little bit of a sell. Uh, that's where I have my – I know when we, we picked them seventh and the consensus around the country and media seems to have them at fourth. So I think it's at least on in our little corner of the internet, we're selling. I, I have them just ahead of Tennessee, but again, I, I think they're, they're very similar, at least to, to me in terms of they're going to take a step back. How far back? I don't really know. Um, but I don't know. They're similar, I guess. Like you said, though, they are a little bit. They're a little bit different because they do have the two proven guards. But I'm willing to bank on, I guess, maybe Bruce Pearl figuring it out and playing a style where I just don't know that they're going to completely slow it down. I just don't see it happening. So buy or sell on Georgia? Oh, um, I am going to still be in sell mode on Georgia because um, as much as I like. Anthony Edwards and and certainly everything they do is you know it's going to go through him but I don't know how you look at everything else and feel like George is going to be able to compete uh, with all of these upper echelon type of teams in the SEC um, because th- that the older guard group we know has been very inconsistent uh, we know kind of what we're getting with them uh, Rayshon Hammonds you know you know he's probably I guess the second best player on that team, you feel like um, beyond that, I have no idea. Like what, what do we get beyond that? And when teams, we know that teams are going to focus on Anthony Edwards and, you know, is Tyree Crump or Jordan Harris um, or, you know, or do they just play such a young roster and such a young rotation that they, they are going to be one of the youngest teams in the country. If they say, you know what, we have to just play out these young guys. Um, if that happens, that's still a problem. Um, so I just, I'm not there on Georgia. There was a point in the preseason where I looked at them and said, you know, I still think they could make the NCAA tournament. Uh, but if you're asking me to, let's say, compare Georgia 
uh, one through five versus, you know, an Auburn, a Tennessee, a Missouri, um, maybe a, a Mississippi State or an Ole Miss, teams like that. I'm still probably feeling a little bit more confident with the one through five on those other teams uh, just because even as good as Anthony Edwards is, man, they couldn't shoot the ball last year. They couldn't hold, they couldn't, they turned it over all the time. How much is that going to change? That's what I don't really know. I just don't trust him to Tom Green to coach a young team (laughs) defensively. Like having the the one benefit of, you know, being only an hour away from Bloomington is you get to watch a lot of Indiana basketball and you get to sort of also kind of track them, the metrics there. And when he's had young teams, they just don't defend. They, they're just a sieve and the offense is going to be elite enough. They're going to win two or three games that, you know, maybe leads you to overestimate the potential, but there's going to be two or three games where you just, you're going to, head's going to be scratching. And then the other 15 are going to be just whoever, you know, has the ball last is going to have a shot to win it. And I think that's, and also that they can be slightly turnover prone. And I think the issue that they're going to have is if they go young, they're going to put the ball in the hands of Anthony Edwards or a lot of other young guards playing at a fast pace and what can be a pretty complex offense that that's not a recipe for great decision making all the time and if you're struggling at the other end it you know it's going to be kind of a ponzi scheme they're going to have to keep scoring just to keep the thing alive and so that that's what gives me pause is set aside the roster just looking at you know Crean's track records with young teams uh, with a lot of freshmen there are going to be nights where they're just going to be an absolute joy to watch and there's going to be others where you're going to wonder how there's two minutes left and it's 85 82 vandy leading you're just going to be confused as to how we got here but you'll watch because it's going to be entertaining so it's kind of going to be exactly what they've been probably for about the past i don't know how many years now like it's one of those teams where you always felt like you know what maybe george is eventually going to take that big step forward but when you look at kind of how they progressed i guess you know we had our frustrations during the, the mark fox era uh, just so inconsistent and now like you said with a young team uh, but they will be more exciting to watch, uh, although J.J. Frazier and Yante Maitland were very exciting. Uh, but Anthony Edwards, uh, he, he's the real deal. Yeah, I think for me, it, like it's one of those things where the uh, the media in general, we have a tendency to like overrate uh, good recruiting classes, um, especially if they're higher ranked, while not necessarily um, – taking into account that all good recruiting classes aren't Kentucky and Duke. Um, And just because you have like a top five class, it doesn't mean that you're getting a class like Kentucky and Duke get year after year where they just import three, four five elite level freshmen. And then they go win 28, 29 games. Um, And I think Missouri fans can almost look at that as, you know, their top five recruiting class, which was based around Michael Porter jr. And while Jonte Porter was good and Jeremiah Tillman was good, you know, neither one of those guys were difference makers to the level that, that like Anthony Edwards or Michael Porter Jr. And, w- and when you're Duke and Kentucky, you have like three of those guys. When you're Georgia, you have one. When you're Missouri, you have one. And the rest of those guys, they're all going to be really good college players. Um, but it's going to take them a while. And, and I think that's why I'm in sell mode on Georgia. I don't think they make the NCAA tournament. Um, I do like the overall uh, thing that Tom Green is doing there. I think he's doing a really good job of building that team. And, 
and they're going to be really fun to watch. Um, and then they're going to be really dangerous maybe next year. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but f- for them to be good, Anthony Edwards is going to have to be just amazing every night. And um, and I just I don't know that he's that level of player where he's just going to be able to turn it on and, and just give everybody the business in the SEC on a nightly basis. Yeah, uh, the one thing I look at when I see them is they have Anthony Edwards, then the number 70 recruit, number 83 recruit, number 100 recruit, 103, and then 252. And at least from what I've looked at, it, you know, sometimes you'll have guys, maybe one or two around the conference sort of outplay their ranking, but the most, most guys need that freshman year just to get acclimated. And I think this is a class that we're going to look at in two years. You know, I think Tom Green's also got a top 20 class built for 2020. You know, in two years from now, we're going to look at this group and be like, man, this is the core of a team that's potentially contending for an SEC crown. But for now, they're just, I think it's best for them to sort of play a lot of the young guys a lot of minutes, get them calloused, get them, you know, developing a sense of chemistry and some experience, you know, take some lumps and, you know, hope that Edwards can, you know, be a difference maker, you know, in swing games for them. So that, that's sort of how I think they should approach this year. Put Nick Clax on this team, I feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nick Claxton yeah. changed the calculus. And that is sort of an underrated point. I, I really think that a lot of people expected that to be the case this year. And because it isn't, it certainly uh, lowers the excitement. And I'm, I'm pr- pretty sure, like, even Tom Crean probably thought he was going to get Claxton back. Yeah. Um, and putting together a recruiting class when you were like, all right, I'm going to have this really uh nba level big in the middle that can also like create his own offense um you know and the, watch that guy leave a little earlier than you thought i mean that's like the the tough thing about college basketball is, is um losing those kind of like middle ground guys end up end up just bolting for the league um so we haven't talked about missouri and i figure this is uh as good of a time if any um Matt and I have uh, probably been as bullish on Missouri as as anyone in in media. And then Ken Ken Pomeroy comes out with his rankings, and he's right there with us. Missouri's going to be pretty good. Um, There are some reasons for concern with Missouri. Uh, We're all sort of counting on uh, some younger guys elevating their level of play, and whether or not they can do that is, is certainly... Uh, questionable. We're all sort of counting on Jeremiah Tillman to be able to um, progress past this stage of, of still kind of struggling with the foul issues, and um, and then I th- I think the there is a fair amount of faith where Consul Martin is a good coach. We don't yet know if he's an elite coach, but he is going to field uh, a good defense. So at least they'll defend, right? Um, so like, I know you kind of hinted that you're of the same kind of mind. You think maybe instead of six, maybe Missouri is more like an eighth, um, eighth ranked team in the SEC, but what are the pitfalls for this team that, that you sort of think we need to be watching out for? Well, I mean, I think the biggest one, and you guys know this and, and, you know, I did get the opportunity to do this blue ribbon story on, on Missouri and, and talk to Conzo and, I think you can kind of hear it in his voice is that look that the turnovers are, are the biggest thing for him. He feels like they've gotten 
you know, a lot bigger. They're a bigger team. They're a stronger team. Um, I don't have any sort of worries about how they're going to play on defense. Um, and I really don't have a lot of worries about what they're going to do offensively if they're able to take care of the ball a lot better. Um, and so that that really is what it comes down to for me. And, of course, you would assume that, that adding someone like Drew Smith is going to really help in that category and help them uh, at least be able to, to play offense a, a lot better and maybe on a more consistent basis, which is what they're going to have to do because I really do believe they'll be – probably i mean one of the better defensive teams in the, in the sec i would think um if you look at uh, most people probably gonna look at kentucky and florida and feel like certainly uh, they could be one two there but i mean to me that i don't think there's any reason missouri can't be the third fourth fifth whatever best defensive team in the sec just in terms of what they're able to do uh, to stop some of these you know playmakers that, that are all around the league now as we know um but if they can take care of the ball and they can get the production um let's say from, from that freshman group that is now a sophomore group this year if those guys continue to sort of develop which i think you know talking to him uh, it sounds like he's really excited, kind of where all three of those guys are at now when you're talking about Pickett, Watson, and Pinson um, in terms of how they got the experience that they got last year and how they've improved, I guess, in the offseason. And, yes, we know coaches always talk about it. Uh, you know, feel like everybody says, oh, yeah, well, they've gotten a lot better and all this, but specifically what have they done to, you know, increase their game in certain areas I like the depth maybe on this team better than clearly the, the national media does. Um, and knowing what Jeremiah Tillman can be, I don't know, man. It's it's one of those where I can understand, I guess, why people don't think it's a, it's a sexy team per se. Um, but if you're talking about just a team that, that I look at and say, that's a team that can go out and grind out wins against teams like Georgia. Um let's say like in Arkansas, uh, South Carolina, Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, the teams that you probably look at and say, I have a lot more questions maybe than answers for those specific teams. I don't have those amount of questions with Missouri aside from maybe taking care of the ball, maybe making sure that Jeremiah Tillman stays out of foul trouble. Um, but I feel really good about their their guard group, their versatility. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm kind of where you guys are uh, on them right now. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of like when you look at the overall, like the middle of the league, um, it's just it's hard to imagine a scenario where they don't like at least kind of squeeze out like an eight and ten record. Yeah. Um, and eight and ten is not going to put them thirteenth in the league. Uh, but if they kind of get so, you know, we talked about all right, you know, if Tillman struggles with fouls, if uh, but what if he doesn't? If if Tillman's able to play 28 minutes a night, most nights, because all big men are going to get into foul trouble at some point. But if it's like three games instead of 12 games, um, then suddenly, uh, you know, that your odds of maybe getting to 10 or 11 wins in league play is, is a lot higher. Um, but yeah, it, it is one of those things where it's kind of surprising where, I don't know, maybe maybe Kim Anderson did more damage to the program and, and everybody's outside view of it than maybe we thought. And it's a lot easier when four out of the last five years, this team has been nowhere near the NCAA tournament um, 
to maybe think that it's just going to kind of stay that way. That's the only thing that I can kind of think that, that you would sort of look at what this team has and what they were kind of able to do with, with a lot of young guys um, and finish kind of where they were in Kempom, which was respectable uh, and having not really being at least in the, you know, solidly in the middle of the league. Well, it's hard too to like quantify. It's easier to quantify. I should say a guy like, uh, an Anthony Edward, you know, down in Georgia, or it's easier to like look at a Trey man or a, a turn in Wofford. You know, th- there's just so much more, you know, sc- scouting that's done on those guys. Whereas like a guy like Drew Smith, who was, you know, only considering three in-state mid-major programs in Indiana, spent two years at Evansville and sat out last year. Not many national guys have seen Drew Smith play basketball. You know, not many guys, you know, probably were paying attention to Mark Smith on a nightly basis and how efficient he was as a shooter, how good he was as an off-ball defender. It's just, I think it's, you know, national guys, it's a blessing and a curse. They get to you know cover the sport nationally, but there's, you know, some blind spots that can come up. So, you know, I don't necessarily hold it against folks who, you know, haven't seen these, you know, players and sort of don't maybe have a good granular sense for how they all fit together. I think the... No, the rage, one, Matt, rage! Uh, <laughs> I can never have rage, you know this. I'm too reasonable. But that's... To me, the big question for them is, you know, I it's weird. I think early on there was sort of like this sort of desire to sort of pump up what Drew Smith was. You know, you heard guys talking about he's the best in practice. Conzo never gets on him. You know, he's going to be a guy that's going to step in. And now, you know, you sort of hear Conzo say, you know, oh, he's a guy who, you know, may not be the leading scorer some nights. He may be the best defender some nights. It seems like they sort of ramped up expectations. And now they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here. At the same point in time, Conzo's saying, you know, in the past month, he doesn't understand how Jeremiah Tillman isn't you know, getting all SEC consideration. So I think it's just been sort of interesting to hear how internally they sort of messaged where this team is. But, you know, you talk about who Conzo is as a coach. He's not a guy who I think oversells what he has. And, you know, just from having followed him at Tennessee and in his first couple of years here, I can't remember him speaking as affirmatively about his prospects for a team like he has this one. He's not pounding his chest, but there's definitely, I sense some more optimism or guarded optimism in how he talks about this team, which for him is a lot. And I don't think he'd put himself out on that branch, you know, too far, unless he felt like this was a group that could deliver in some way. So that just the way he's sort of messaged, you know, his expectations for this group is sort of, given me, I think, a little bit more confidence in sort of looking and evaluating the roster as well. Yeah, he's always kind of been that quiet, confident type of guy. Like you said, he's never really wanted to come out and say a ton. I mean, you know, he's just he's always someone that's talking about development and, and you know, this guy needs to do this to get better and all those different things. But, yeah, I mean, you can tell. Like, he's, he's very confident in this group. And um, when you look at the schedule, you know, they, they've got some – very interesting non-conference games, but certainly when you look at their start to SEC play, it can be a bear on the front. Uh, it's a long the front. The front, yeah. <laughs> the, those first five games, I mean, you look at it. They're at Kentucky. They're at home against Tennessee. Home against Florida. At Mississippi State. At Alabama. Um, you know, your season isn't decided in, in the first five games of league play, but th- that's a stretch that that will certainly you know, which we'll know already by how they play in non-conference play, but. Um, you know, teams like Tennessee and Mississippi State and Alabama, 
if you're able to go on the road and, you know, get a win at a Mississippi State team who's probably a borderline NCAA tournament team when you have an Alabama team that's going to feel like they have much higher expectations, um, that that tells you a lot more, I guess, about, about a team like this. But like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm, I'm a lot higher on them than, than most people. So if they can get a two and three start, if they could steal a road win at a place like Alabama and they can pick off, you know, a Tennessee and Columbia that sets up a really nice back stretch for them. The back, you know, the late yeah. stretch of February and into March is where you can really start to run up the wind count a little bit. And, and it, maybe that doesn't help the resume, but it gives you a little bit of that momentum going into Nashville. And maybe you can, if you're in good position, you can try and play, play to improve seating. So that that's sort of, I think, how I, you know, the optimal setup for them. Well, so we've gotten through... Uh a lot of kind of what I sort of consider like the top half of that middle, except for one team who I, I want to kind of get through this um, time-wise. That you know, Matt, I like to kind of try to keep this under an hour, and we're getting close. Um, but Alabama is a team who has some really good returning talent. Uh, their weakness last year was being efficient offensively, and they bring in a coach who likes to push tempo and and uh, has a history of, of kind of running some pretty efficient offenses. Um, where are you on Alabama, Blake? Are you are you a buyer or a seller? Because uh, Ken Pomeroy is, is uh, and this actually kind of surprised me, they came in the 13th in, in the league in, in Ken Palm at 70, and I don't think they're going to finish there. No, I love Ken Palm, but this is one of the biggest misses, I think, uh, which, again, we I don't think we can go off a, a whole lot until maybe December or so uh, when it comes to some of this uh, the data on there. But I'm full-on uh, buying Alabama. I, I'm sold um, because I just think this roster, which it wasn't planned this way um, in terms of the guys that were coming back because you didn't know there was going to be a coaching change, of course, but – I don't. I don't think that, that Nate Oates could have sort of a better setup in terms of the guys that he that he kind of has in this first season. Not just his freshman group, but the guys that are returning. Kyra Lewis, perfect for that system. Um, John Petty. You know, there's been the inconsistency with Petty, but you feel like he's going to be able to thrive maybe more in a system like this, um, where now you have a guy like Kyra Lewis because they they're going to attack. Like we know how it is with with Nate Oates teams. They're going to attack. Uh, they're going to try to score at the rim. They're going to try to get to the free throw line, but they're also going to kick it out for open threes. And as we've seen from how they've played uh, at Buffalo, are they going to be in the top five in the country when it comes to, to average offensive possession length? I don't know. Probably not, I guess. But uh, we know how they like to play on offense. And when you consider all those guys, uh, Alex Reese, who I am very high on, I always have been, um, his ability to step out and shoot the three is also perfect in this type of offense. Um, and and when you look at guys like I mean Herb Jones, we've even brought him up. I mean he's the you know he's the Swiss Army knife. Like he's he can do a lot of different things. He'll probably play some point at times. Um, you've got Beetle Bolden there. You know, Javon Quinterly didn't get his uh, waiver granted, but it sounds like they're appealing and at least feel like they have some confidence there. Uh, so I don't think they need Quinterly, and that's what I'm saying. Like, if you, my whole thing with Alabama has been on the basis that he is not going to play this year. Which give the ball to Lewis, let him cook. Yeah, like <laughs> all summer, people are like, "Where do you think Alabama is going to finish?" Uh, and I've said, you know, um, probably top five in the SEC. That's where I have them. They're like, well, "What happens if they get Quinterly?" I said, "Well, that 
I haven't been there without him. And so when you consider that, and I'm telling you guys, this freshman class, um, you know, Shackelford is someone, He's really good. He, man, he is probably, and someone said this to me, he could very well be the most underrated recruit in the SEC this year. Now, I'm not saying he's going to win player of the year or anything like that, but NATO said it. Uh, he flat out said that he thinks that he, Shackelford, is, is the most Division one ready kid he's maybe coached before and when i know we can't read much into the exhibition games but of course alabama thrashed georgia tech uh but shackleford was i mean he really stood out anybody you talk to that was there um he's the real deal and i think alabama has the depth they have the shooting um you know defensively what do they look like i mean you have a guy like herb jones uh and and you have some guys that, that are going to be able to play well that's where you need like alex reese Galen Smith to, to rebound well, not having a guy like Dante Hall in there. I, I am. I'm, I have less questions about Alabama, and I know people are, are maybe, when it comes to Alabama, anytime there are high expectations, you always feel like the doom is right around the corner. Uh, but I just don't see it. I, I think this is a perfect team for what Nate Oates wants to do, and uh, I would be very surprised if Alabama is not an NCAA tournament team. Yeah, they're the, they're the one team I feel oddly the most – calm about just because I, I look at the backcourt and I think the last two coaches there have not known how to optimize guys in terms of a pace and space offense so they've recruited guys and then put them into kind of some antiquated pro stuff and I think that's just not going to be Nate Oates. Nate Oates is going to you know update that scheme put those guys in situations where they're, they're going to be maximized and it hurts a little bit that they don't have a guy like Gary and they don't have Rojas for some front court depth but that's not going to make or break this team. It's going to be what they have in the backcourt. And frankly, I would just let Quinterly sit and let Bolden be the guy you're going to have and just really keep that rotation tight, let guys flesh out roles, let them get acclimated, and then just go. Because I think he's going to optimize everything they do down there. The schedule's navigable for them. The non-con's workable. I, I just think it's it's set up for a quick start for them. You know, Everybody can stay healthy and they... You know, don't take any more injury hits, especially, you know, with a key guy, whether that's Petty, Bolden, or, or Lewis. I think the the bigger thing for, for me with them uh, is if they're going to get any kind of production from that front court, uh, I do like what Alex Reese can bring. Um, you know, I, I've read the reports on uh, JV and Davis, uh, you know, but is it going to reach a point where they're flexing Herb Jones yep. into the four spot, you know, if they're trying to run with more guards um, and, and what that kind of does to their ability to sort of compete, you know, defensively and on the glass. Uh, I still think this is like a, you know, a, a 10 and eight team at worst. Um, the, the ceiling I think kind of depends for me on if, uh, if Kira Lewis uh, can kind of be a lottery pick and I kind of think he can. So um his ceiling to me is, is, is I think probably the biggest thing for, uh, for Alabama. Yeah, he's, he's really good. And, and, you know, let's, let's say all things considered. And I, I said this other day and, and some people were like, well, that's crazy. But if we just, you know, let's, I know we can't, but if we take Kentucky and Florida out of the equation and say, you know what, they're going to be so balanced that none of those guys are going to win SEC player of the year. I think you put a guy like Lewis in there and say, there's like a dark horse type of guy. Let's say everything goes according to plan for Alabama. Uh, he's that good. And uh, again, he's going to be sort of what 
runs the show for them. So I am I'm very high on Alabama, and I could make the case for them being the third best team in the SEC, and, and I probably wouldn't feel all that bad about it to be honest. So running up against time, let's do some uh, let's do some quickness here. Uh, no context. What I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, name a team. I'm going to name a place in the league, and you're going to tell me uh, over, under, or even. How's that? Okay. Okay. So we'll, we haven't talked about the Mississippi schools. Uh, I know a lot of people are kind of high on Mississippi State and what they could potentially be, thanks to Reggie Perry. But Mississippi State, over, under, even, ninth in the league. Say over. Do you think over? Matt? Uh... I'll say even. I have to go ninth. even. Mm. So me right. saying over means they're going to finish better than ninth, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay so, so we'll just kind of keep it easy for uh, Ole Miss. Then we'll say uh, ninth of league for Ole Miss. Hmm. Uh, over. Under. Oh, I'll say even. Uh, Arkansas. Over under seventh. Under. Under. under, under. All right, yeah, I'll take the under. Uh, the, yeah, they're currently seventh, uh, I believe. Yeah, seventh in in Kempom. Uh, Texas A and M over under eleventh. Under. Ooh. Under. <laughs> <clears throat> I'll take the under. Uh, South Carolina over under twelfth. Over. Even. Even. Matt. Four doors. I know you're not a believer. <laughs> Even? I'll take the over. I, I think that's everybody, because I think all we have left would uh, really be Vanderbilt, which I don't think anybody... I'll Vanderbilt, over, under, even, 14th. I, I'm trying here, but <laughs> I, I think I've got to do even. So, <laughs> uh, well, so who, who do you think wins the league, Kentucky mm. or Florida? Um, I'm going to take Florida. Under. Or the field. I would take Florida. Kentucky. Matt, Kentucky, Florida the versus the field. I'm still taking Kentucky. I just Mike White's gotta show me he can <laughs> under Coach. under of reasonable offense. He can take all these pieces and mix them. I Cal's got a longer track record, so I'm just gonna bank on that. I agree with you. I'm taking Kentucky. Uh, I just like their ability to Under. Uh, generate offense with a little more consistency. Um, and I think I think Florida's not going to be as good offensively, uh, particularly at the beginning of the year. And so that might cause them to stub their toe a little bit. I still think they'll probably end up with 12 wins in the league, and that's going to be good for second. Um People get on me every year for picking Kentucky, and, and so I said, "All right, at some point I'll pick against them." And this is, I guess, as close as I feel to picking against them. Hey, LSU won last year, year, so right. So, so he is know. at the Blake level. Um, follow him on Twitter. You can uh, check out. You, you, you're starting a new podcast. That's right. That's what you were saying. Oh man, yeah. I don't. I'm doing 14 different podcasts now. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to be uh, doing a podcast with Blue Ribbon, which uh, they started an SEC basketball podcast uh, last season, and uh, I'm actually going to get to join it now. So um, yeah, Blue Ribbon SEC College Basketball Podcast uh, should be a lot of fun. Very nice. Uh, if you follow Blake on Twitter, I'm sure you will get uh, tweets with links to that podcast to do that. Yep. Uh, we will get out of here. Um, 
Matt and I will be back next week. Next week, uh, we actually probably should record on Monday, Matt, uh, since next week basketball starts. Oh, yeah, yeah. We we have actual basketball uh, to watch, to talk about, uh, to review. I'm excited. It is basketball season. Matt and I have queued up League Pass uh, just about every night for the last uh, two or three weeks. Um, so now it's time to watch some college basketball. That's going to hurt. Uh, Incarnate, Word, <laughs> Incarnate Word is going to be a <laughs> steep drop-off from watching the Grizz. <laughs> a little, little bit. Uh, so make sure you tune in next week. We will be back with another new, fresh episode of Dive Cut.